Welcome to Africa Agenda, a podcast produced by the Local Development Research Institute for the Africa Open Data Network. For more information about the network, please visit africaopendatanetwork.org or you can follow us on Twitter on Network for Data, Instagram and Facebook. My name is Shiro. Today's episode is part of a series recorded at the sixth edition of the AgriTech Africa International Exhibition and conference on agriculture technology held in Nairobi, Kenya. In this episode, Ms. Anne Chele, the Agricultural Policy Officer of the Food and Agriculture Organization, Kenya Office, delivered a keynote address at the conference. Listen in. Uh, of the policy effectiveness in the sector, I've drawn a lot from that. There is also work that has been done um, by the, the leadership of Stephen Gekonyo, uh, in livestock, there will be bits and pieces of it there, but like he said, he's making a more comprehensive uh, presentation and so on. So it has, there is also um, another piece of work also we have done, a kind of um, country assessment, we call it a country com- common country assessment, which we do as the UN country, um, the agencies, as a UN, as to inform the wound of the UN Development Assistance Framework. So I've tried to draw from all these pieces of work. So if you find like there is a bit of repetition and mix up, just bear with me. Um, so if you look at, uh, just go back to Dogo. So if you look at uh, the current scenario, uh, the food and the agriculture and food and nutrition security <coughs> policies have not yielded the desired results. We are, Kenya is always being praised in forums for making very good policies, strategies, but we are not achieving the desired results. We continue to grapple with chronic food and nutrition insecurity, with poverty and youth unemployment. And if you look um, at the figures, you see agriculture productivity has been stagnating, sometimes even declining in the recent years. Uh, for example, in the case of maize, yields declined from 1.7 tons in 1990 to 1.5 in 2016. Um, and also, the country is performing relatively poor compared to the countries in the region. If you look at the following graphs in the next slide, you can see here the, the comparative maize productivity. This, of course, is the USA at the top there. Um, then Kenya is the red line here. You can see it is almost a flat, you know, it is stagnated, it has actually stagnated. If you draw a line, it is just a straight line. And you can see um, Ethiopia uh, has picked up quite well there, is on an upward trend. Um, South Africa, again, is also on an upward trend. Then Tanzania is quite (coughs) close to Kenya. Um, But I think you can see Kenya is really a horizontal line. So this is a stagnation. Uh, Then in terms of uh, next, if you look at the fertilizer consumption, again, comparing countries in the region, we are the highest, you know, we are, we, in terms of consumption per unit of variable land, Kenya is much higher than the other countries in the region. 
but remember our productivity, the graph we have seen. And this is because also, although we are putting more fertilizer than they are doing, but our cost of production is very high, is eroding the gains that we could gain from, we could get from increased fertilizer use. Um, and as a consequence of this, of course, Kenya is increasing, increasingly depending on food imports. In fact, we will see a graph below where we are almost having a convergence between our imports and exports almost reaching a point where Kenya is going to become a net importer. Um, then, of course, increasing food prices. Every day you hear Kenya is complaining about the price of food, spending increasingly uh, larger portions of their incomes on food commodities. Then stagnating real, real incomes, and of course, poor growth in the agricultural GDP. And remember, agriculture is supposed to be driving the growth in the GDP. Uh, high levels of rural poverty and, and uh, uneven development with increased urbanization, rural urban migration. So those are some of the consequences. Of course, they are not exhaustive. Uh, this is the graph I talked about. It's showing the, the, um, a comparison of exports and imports, uh, exports <coughs> from Kenya and imports to Kenya, food and, and beverages. You can see we, this is the, the blue is the exports, the, the red is the imports. You can see this is 2017. We are almost reaching a point of convergence and I don't know how, how much longer we have before Kenya becomes a net food importer. Uh, so what are the challenges? There are very many. Uh, I won't be going into all these details. Uh, but I think one of the major things is, uh, is the funding. Low and declining public expenditure. If you look at the trend, it is actually declining and we shall see in the next slide. Uh, then of course, um, even with devolution, devolution we would have expected uh, the counties to allocate more uh, resources to agriculture. This has not happened yet. And uh, I hope during the panel discussions we can get more insights into that. Then um, this could also be as a result of weak links between policy formulation and programming. Policy, policy formulation is not resulting in mobilization of you know, additional resources to the sector for reasons maybe that will come out during the discussion. And so, of course, we have challenges of, uh, you know, poor research and extension uh, and development. This is the graph I was talking about, the trends in public expenditure. You can see it's a general down, downward trend. And this is the paradox we were talking about in the beginning, you know, so much burden has been put on the sector in terms of expectations, but we are not investing enough to enable the sector to deliver on those expectations. Um, marginalization of women in agriculture. This may be dismissed as just a, another gender discussion, but actually there is evidence that 
if you breach the gender gaps in agriculture, you will raise, you, you know, you will raise yields to sometimes up to 30%, and that is significant. And of course, it's because we know who are the workers, in, in, who does farming, who is on the farms. Yesterday, one of the panelists in the high-level panel said that uh, the men are not talking. You know, the women are saying we are in agribusiness, we need support. Where are the men? And another lady in the audience said, they, don't, they are not involved in agriculture. They just own the land, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an important debate in agriculture. Um, and, and one thing about this one, another paradox. The women are the ones doing uh, the, the, the farming activities, but they are not involved in policy making, they are not involved in strategic decision making. And I think that is an issue that needs to be addressed to bring them on board around the table. Then crops, crop and animal pests and diseases. Again, with climate change, we are seeing increases in the in incidence of crop and livestock diseases. We know the challenges the country is having with uh, fall armyworm and other livestock diseases. Cross-border issues in control of livestock diseases. And uh, part of the reason also is because of challenges of um, deployment of early warning uh, information systems uh, to allow timely response. And this is critical because with climate change, this is continuing to, is going to be an increasingly uh, critical problem. Then uh, challenges of inadequate extension and advisory services. This especially since devolution is a major issue. Uh, in every forum it keeps coming up. And I think it is time actually, you know, serious discussion took place among the stakeholders. How do, I, how do we address this? And um, is it, what is the solution? Is it to employ more extension workers? Is it to change the way we do extension? Is it to deploy technology and so on? So that is a point, uh, again, of, of concern. Uh, then irrigation, of course, our, our agriculture is rain-fed, making it very erotic and unpredictable. And that makes it also not a very attractive uh, area for investment, for banks, for example, the private sector and so on. The country has had mixed experiences and I think now listening to the government there is more focus or more emphasis on water harvesting and uh, for irrigation at household level and um, small interventions you know, other than the huge uh, schemes that we've been talking about in the past. Then uh, increased vulnerability of agricultural-based livelihoods, and this is especially in the arid and semi-arid areas. Uh, the country is facing a lot of pressure on limited resources and fragile ecosystems uh, because of increased pressure, population, climate change, and so on. Um, we have, uh, you know, we. You know, there is evidence that shows the country is actually getting drier. 
we used to say that 80%, 20% is arable, 80% is acid. That, that was the scenario when I was at university. <laughs> I think now the 20% has reduced, not just because of um, climate change, but also we are converting a lot of our arable land into other uses. So this is becoming a serious concern. But in the in the ASAL, especially uh, because of the fragility of the, the ecosystems uh, and then the past, you know, the nature of the pastoral um, method of, you know, the livestock um, economy there. It is really uh, an issue that needs to be addressed. We are seeing progressive worsening conditions of pasture and, and reduction in water for livestock and prevalent malnutrition among the, the pastoral communities. And as we talk about 100% zero hunger or 100% food and nutrition security, really you need to focus on these areas because you don't want to achieve in some areas and leave others behind. There is a concept of leaving no one behind. It's one of the UN programming principles, one of the programming principles under the Sustainable Development Goals. So the country really has to think about how do you target these areas, what kind of policies uh, you know, do you uh, put in place to make sure that you achieve the targets even for marginal areas. This is just a, 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 a graph showing the, the is, is like interpreting the previous slide, showing that the country is getting drier. These are little maps of Kenya. You can see from where you are. Yes. Can you see these are, this, is, this side is more green than this one. There is more red here. Okay, this is generated by a tool that was developed by FAO and the Texas A&M University called the PLUS. In short, we call it PLUS. In long, it means Predictive Livestock Early Warning System. It is able to predict the availability of forage six months in advance. So it is like six months in advance you are able to see is there going to be enough uh, livestock, I mean uh, forage for the livestock and how are the, the drought conditions and so on. So it helps you to plan in advance for, you know, to put mitigation measures uh, in place. And you can see the pattern. It is actually showing the increasing uh, drier conditions prevailing in the country. So as we formulate our policies, we need to put to take into consideration this kind of evidence. What do we need to do therefore? Okay. Then of course, I, I think I already mentioned the population pressure. If you look at the Kenya Demographic Health Survey 2014, Kenya has one of the world's fastest population growth. You look at 2.9%, you think it is small. That is a million people per year. So currently, the population is expected to be about 48 million. We shall see the results when the census takes place in August. And it is expected to reach 65 million by 2030. And if you compare the growth of the population with the growth of the food supply, represented by the growth of maize, because maize is our main food crop. At the current levels of agricultural growth, 
we cannot meet the, the demand for food. And you'll see that in the next graph. You see this? Kenya population growth against maize. The red one is the population. is growing, you know, still an upward trend. The maize we saw is almost flat, isn't it? The gap is increasing. So at that rate, unless there is a transformation that ensures that the, you know, the growth in agriculture is raised optimally, the country will not be able to meet its demand for food. Then a key challenge now, you know, those are so many things we've talked about, and there are many others. These are just like pulling out a few here and there. But I think a key challenge underlying all this is inadequacy of policy responses. In the, in the policy effectiveness analysis I talked about that was done by Mulat, we have found that the response to the policies is inadequate. You are putting policies in place, you are not achieving the goals and you know, objectives in there. And there are various reasons for that. One of them is the weak governance system, explained by weak coordination mechanisms, particularly after devolution. The coordination between the national government and the county level, that is what we are calling intergovernmental coordination. Because agriculture is a devolved function, the national ministry has the responsibility for policy making, capacity building, regulation, and so on. The county governments have the responsibility for implementation. But the coordination has been very weak. There are some improvements, I must say, but there is a lot that needs to be done there. Because when you talk about those targets we saw there under the big, big four plan, <coughs> they will not be achieved unless the counties are investing adequately in agriculture, unless they are, you know, the right policies are formulated at the national level and, the, and, and domesticated at the county level. So that coordination requires to be, you know, strengthened to ensure that kind of seamless operation between the two levels. And then there is also weak intersectoral coordination because food and nutrition security cannot be achieved by the Ministry of Agriculture alone. It is not an agriculture alone thing. You need the Ministry of Finance, you need the Ministry of Health, you know, it is a multi-sectoral thing. So you need that horizontal intersectoral coordination to be strengthened as well. Then when you look at our policy-making processes, they are not participatory. Although the Constitution requires participation, public participation, this has not been institutionalized. And the way it has been done um, at the county levels, at the national level, is not quite effective. It, we, you know, there is a need to institutionalize this public participation and define how it should be done, how should it be structured, and so on and so forth and the private sector must be involved. Remember, agriculture is done by the private sector. Farmers are private sector. They must participate in the policy-making process. At the moment, the participation process is informal, it is ad hoc, and there is no institutionalized forum for that. Then our policies are also not very well informed by evidence. 
this could be because of many factors. There is no robust MLE that provides feedback on the, you know, the performance of the, the ongoing policies. The data and information management is poor. There is poor analytical capacity. If you look at the <coughs> agriculture data ecosystem at the moment, there is a lot happening, you know, scattered efforts uh, to collect data, to analyze data, and so on and so forth. But this needs to be better organized and better structured to be able to provide evidence that is accessible you know, to stakeholders, and also to have the capacity to analyze that data and information and package it in a manner that can actually inform policymaking. Then, of course, in, ter in terms of implementation of the policies at the county level, there are also challenges, <coughs> and, and I think those, I believe, will come out during the panel discussions. Uh, so I won't go into details on that one. So in terms of a summary of recommendations, I tried to summarize because there are so many issues. So you can see I just put there five points. And for better policies, in my, in my opinion, we need policy and investment decisions that are based on evidence. That is key. And this will help us, for example, to target policies to specific areas. Like we say, we need uh, targeted policies, for example, for the drier areas and for, you know, the, you need the evidence to inform the kind of uh, policy you require for different uh, targeted uh, populations. Then we need inclusivity in the policy making process. Private sector, youth, women, they must be involved. And, you know, in a structured way. We need this, you know, it, it needs to be structured it needs to be, you know, well-informed and so on. Then better coordination, intergovernmental and cross-sectoral. This is very important. And you cannot achieve inclusivity if the coordination is not working. The two are very closely related. So, and they synergize each other. Then we need better information and data management. If you have better coordination, you cannot have better coordination without, you know, that, you know, the data and information, usually we say data and information is the grease or the oil that greases the coordination. Coordination cannot be effective if you are not sharing information, data, and so on. And um, the last point I put there is because agriculture <coughs> is all about agricultural technologies. We need to deploy technology to support evidence-based decision-making. We have a, a lot of uh, advances in ICT-based technologies that can support us in doing better policies. So that is also something we need to actively work on. And that is the end of my presentation. Thank you. The recordings were made possible thanks to our friends at the Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, Kenya office, who set up a radio booth at the exhibition. Many thanks also to everyone who stopped by and had a quick chat with us.